I'm Mac Richard, and today we are going to conclude the interview conversation that we had that we began last time with the one and only Roy Spence. Roy is just one of those guys who has a phenomenal get it factor. He makes things happen. He's incredibly creative. He's unbelievably encouraging. And as you'll see in this conclusion to what we began last week, he just gets it. So sit back, get a pen and paper, take some notes, and be ready to get better in this conversation with Roy Spence. So anyway, back to the trust thing. I think that's what the culture is. It's a culture of trust. And if you have one, you'll win. If you don't, you won't. And that includes performance. Big time. Because uh, I, I just, think a lot of times, Roy, people yeah, will hear oh, yeah. that and they'll be like, uh, soft and ooey and gooey. He's in Austin. You're going to go, oh, by the way, uh, you're going to go pitch uh, Goodyear uh, out there. If you don't win it, I'm not. I'm pissed at you. Right. I trusted you to go do that. Right. Now, every now and then, that's okay. But, but I wrote something today, uh, and I just I had never written this. Of course, I don't have discipline, so. Uh, <laughs> but I wrote a, a thing. I'm grabbing a paper here called Higher Ground Leadership. I'd never thought about this, and I thought the five elements. Number one purpose-inspired leaders, and mm -hmm. basically I know a little something about it because I learned. Purpose-inspired leaders, number one, their number one job is protect the troops. Right. Protect the troops. Yeah. Enron, excuse me. No. Protect the troops. Absolutely. Number one, protect the troops. Second, um, prepare yourself to be lucky. Mm. Every day, wake up and prepare yourself. We pitched a business about 10 years ago, and it came back, and the CEO, who I knew, came in and said it was a nine-to-one vote against you, and you got the business. <laughs> <laughs> I liked him a lot. Anyway, prepare yourself to be lucky. You have to, on the German side, obsess over the details. Right. Obsess over them. Uh, practice the golden rule, you know, around my neck is a symbol of every religion in the world because that's all – we have in common is something called the golden rule preacher fess up when you mess up you got to dump the garbage still to this day every year we have a dump the garbage day at gsdnm do you really dump the garbage? what does it, that look like it's recycled uh crap in your office yeah and then we spend all day getting it out and then we have a staff meeting and we say you got to dump your hate your envy your fear your jealousy mm. your resentment dump the garbage great purpose inspired leaders let people dump the garbage. Right. And then finally, you got to help people believe in themselves. That's number one. Secondly, real quickly, on this kind of higher ground leadership, you need guiding principles. Right. They're called values. So you know how to judge behavior. Third, higher ground leadership is based on strengths. Mm -hmm. Let people play to their strengths. Right. Fourth, higher ground leadership is based on love. Now, that's that sounds ooey-gooey. It doesn't. Not to you or me, but right. what I define it is you have a love culture where you love what you do because you're playing to your strengths. You love whom you do it with because yep. you got your back. And you love the positive impact you're making on people's lives. So, and the final thing, and this is most important, you have to have a purpose beyond making money. If you do all of that, you'll outperform the competitors. Right. No, it's proven. Firms of Endearment, a book that you ought to get called Firms of... The guys who have values, purpose, strength, love outperform right 
And if you have all that stuff, but you don't have money, it doesn't work. Roy, have you all been through seasons where maybe the the culture mm-hmm. was threatened? Yes. And you went through seasons of higher turnover yes. than other. Yes. Talk about the the cost of high turn of quick turnover versus yep. the cost of building a culture where people want to be a part of. Yeah. It's 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 uh, very interesting because I do believe I know it's in the Bible, but I like the birds version. Uh, there is a season, <laughs> and it's true. Uh, there is yeah. in business, life, countries, whatever. And as you, if you, the first lesson I learned uh, was twenty when we were celebrating our twenty fifth anniversary. We were just about to move into Idea City. I'm on an airplane. I'm reading USA Today, and I read this book review called "Built to Last." I jump off the plane. I call Karen, who's been with me thirty seven years. And I said, I don't know how to pronounce that poorest guy name. Can you get a hold of Jim Collins? She got a hold of Jim Collins, and he said, you're the first person to call me. And I said, I just read the synopsis of Built to Last. I don't think our company's Built to Last. I'm worried. Our partnership was going through turmoil. And by the way, everybody wants to be a partner out there, but they don't want to deal with the ship because it's hard. Yeah, The ship's hard. That's S H I. He's in Paul. Without the other one. Uh, so I said, I don't think we're built to last. Will you come help us? He said, I will come down, and I won't charge anything. You're the first person to call me. Roy, I think that is it's staggering. That. <laughs> that is staggering humility because I, it's just it's hard to tell somebody, I don't think we've done this right. And it's almost like the book you write. You were 25 years in at that yeah, point? Yeah, mm-hmm. and our partnership, we were at the top of the game. And un- underneath the we were fighting. There were camps. There was this going on. And how and many I, employees at that time? Probably five, six, six hundred. Okay. And we're about to move into Idea City. We're at the top of the game. It's the old thing about we look awesome on the outside. Yeah. And we were eat, being eaten up on the inside. And uh, it was it was that unspoken thing. I wouldn't have had the courage to say it if he that book had not fallen into my arms because it was about built to last. So I had language when I called. I don't know if our company is built to last. He comes down here and we do a session with him at three days and that's where we got our values and our purpose of visionary ideas that make How many difference. people were in those sessions? All of us. <clears throat> we the, had all of them off the, campus. All 500 people. All 500 people. And then you'll love this. What Jim Collins, after we did the two-day sessions about what do you think our values are and we're drawing on the wall, what do you think our purpose is, he got up and said, okay, the founders, you stand, you stand back for a minute. We're going to have a vote among all 500 or so people, non-founders. If GSDNM was going to go to Mars and farm the company on Mars, who are the five people that you would nominate that would carry the DNA? What a great question and scary as all get oh out. Oh, my God. And so he, he said – I want y'all to vote on the five people in the 500 that you would trust to carry the DNA of GSDNM to Mars. And they called them the Mars team. And our team elected five people. Duff Stewart, our CEO now, was the, and he was in the mailroom or something. Really? He was a researcher. <laughs> well, a little over top there. But, but he started in the mailroom. Yeah, anyway, yeah. So we had the Mars team. And they worked for six months together with no founders. I tried to 
influence them. And I'm really good at this. No, really. Yeah. I'd take them it's out. Part of have a beer, you know. Hey, what's up? And <laughs> I don't think that values. And they, nah, 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 nah. So they came back, and they came back with our core values and our core purpose, and we put it in concrete. And that was the scariest moment of our life because, but it also ended up being the most precious moment of our life because we realized we're simply better together if we share values and purpose. You know what's amazing to me? I didn't know that story. It's true and story. I know it's true, but I think most people listening to this would think, man, at 25 years in, you've got it figured out, and, and it's no. just one foot in front of the other yeah. to the next level. Mm-hmm. And I, th- it's funny, Roy, because I think if you don't get to the what I would call a, a precipice moment mm-hmm. where you're kind of looking over the cliff and thinking, oh, crap. I know. On a regular basis. basis. Yeah. It's true for our church. Right. Right. It's true for Spur Leadership. It's true for GSDM. It's true for the mom and pop that's just getting started in somebody's garage. You ought to have those moments. Yep. And if you don't, on you a ca- regular basis. And if you don't, if you don't have them, you must cause them. And it, but it doesn't have to be an identity crisis no, moment. No. It's but like, it needs to be a I'm ab- taking a shot moment. And also, too, if you look at our values, every time our company's gotten in trouble over the last 45 years, now, if you violate integrity, you go down. You go down. The two on the side of the circle, one is curiosity, definition, there's got to be a better way. The one on the left, our most controversial, restlessness, because mm-hmm. you could be hyper. No, the definition is next. Every time in 45 years that we've gotten in trouble, we have violated those two. Curiosity and restlessness. restlessness. Because it's complacency. We haven't... The thing that I always talk about, and they use it everywhere, we got to jump off the building and build the wings on the way down. <laughs> I love that. And sometimes you don't, and you hit. But if you're not jumping off the w- building, building the wings for the right reason, curiosity, restlessness, there's got to be a better way. We've got to be next. Community, we got down. Freedom and responsibility, we got down. Integrity, we actually have down. Mm-hmm. But every time the wheel starts to wobble, we can pick one of those two. We're not curious enough. We're not restless enough. How do you all evaluate, measure, as, as the founders, and Dove Stewart, who's now your CEO, yep. how do you all measure that and go, hey, because I think, I think the wheel is always on the verge of wobbling. It is. There, you're, and it's sometimes never, it's you, never in perfect round it all, all the sometimes, time. Sometimes I'm preacher, you become what I used to call, you become Michael Jordan. You become the game. Right. You are the game. You're the sun and their planets and you're kicking their butts. Right. Shh. And then something will happen. Sure. But that's rare when you become the game. I right. like that, by the way, when you become the game. But so you're asking, how do you measure that, right? How right. do you met? One of the things that we did about seven years ago, six years ago, again, Jim Collins called me up and he said, I want you to come to Boulder. And there are 10 other CEOs, and I'm not going to tell you who they are. It's the clue game, actually. Come Mustard showed up. We didn't know why we had the same. It was un, 10 CEOs were there. Okay. And we had to do a questionnaire, it, but it was the clue game. We, Colonel Mustard, everybody came, to, and we didn't know. There were five of us who were about to turn a company over. Right. And there were five that got the company turned over to them. And oh. we spent three days in his classroom. I was sitting next to a woman who 
her dad gave her the company 10 years ago. It's right. a big company. And he's in her office every day. Yeah. And she's crying. I learned something, and it does go back to the question you asked, is that if founders don't have some place to go, they will never leave. <laughs> right. I don't care what they say. It's a universal law, isn't it? If you don't have some place to go, you will never leave. And the point you ask about measurement, I came home and I sat down with our partners and I said, it's time. We then wrote our version of the covenant. Mm -hmm. And there were seven pieces of it. I'll give it to you. Number one, that you uphold our purpose at GSTNM of visionary ideas that matter is our business. How you do it is your business. That you uphold the values on our concrete floor is our business. How you do it is your business. That you put our people first before anything, blah, blah, blah. So we signed a covenant. Mm. And at that moment in time, we all had places to go. But we kept on, and by the way, it's a one way. We can't call any of the leaders of our company. You, can, you call us. It's against the law. We cannot call Duff. That's fascinating. If you if you got something, to, you can call me every day or night, but I can't call you. I love that. That's a fascinating way to go about it, though. But to to institutionalize and even structure phone lines to work that way, <laughs> and you know, we'll walk down a hall, and because he want they'll Mary Ann's our president, they want our input. But you know, back to the point is, how do you measure? You go back and you actually measure, are we performing on our values? Because mm -hmm. the numbers are easy to see. Right. They're not always pretty. <laughs> right. And it causes a lot of angst. That's easy. Not getting them and not easy. Sure. But measuring them. Right. The, You're up or down. That's The values obvious. piece of the culture is really tough. And if you don't have measurements in place or evaluations, then why have them? Basically? Right. So... Talk about how you all went through the process of choosing Duff as the next CEO for the next generation of GSDNM and where GSDNM would go. And you're not going to have the day-in, day-out say that you're very used to. Yep. Talk about how you went through that process. Well, we went through it as a partnership. And also, I learned from Herb and Sam and Norm Brinker and a lot of the leaders I just got to know and respect. And I asked them. Every one of them said, and, you know, I, I have sort of a charismatic chain in my little DNA, and so did Sam, so sure, did Herb. Sure, sure. The number one thing that you want in your next CEO is integrity and trust. Yeah. Secondly, don't put someone in charge who wants to be like you because they will fail. Duff went through the ranks of mailroom, our leasing agent, research, running some of our biggest clients, he had that ultimate asset of trust mm -hmm. by everyone. Then Mary it's a credibility Ann, because of where he's uh, the, been, because, what he's done. Right, and that he was chief operating officer. He built the building. I, 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 he actually, I didn't know this until lately, he played like he was taking notes when I would talk to him, and he finally showed me he didn't take any of the notes. <laughs> but he built Idea City. He built, it was like, uh, I can do that. 
Yeah, bro. I, I what was his that. background? His basically just came out of school, and he literally was kind of real estate. He was he's a number. He's a not he's an operation guy and best in the world at it. We then married him with Marianne, who's more of the liberator and more of the visionary. And then we have the new. They built their own team. Team, right? Uh, and it's not perfect. Ours wasn't either. Sure. But I think if you are an entrepreneur or you're in business and you're thinking about moving on. Mm-hmm. Make sure you have some place to move, or you won't. And the next person that takes over has to have trust and integrity. You can't hire that. Right. You can hire the talent. You can't hire trust and integrity. It's earned over time, by the way. Okay, I want to shift gears a little bit yes, sir. because I know a little bit. I know one of your daughters, Courtney. Yep. Who's running her own firm in San Francisco right now? But I want you to give us a little bit of an idea of what each of your kids is doing right now and then i'm gonna ask you a question okay two things that i learned again when i do give all this stuff it's like i didn't know anything i was a kid from brownwood but i'm pretty curious Mm -hmm. um and actually sports helped me uh i really didn't like getting hit a lot i like throwing the ball and being a hero but uh (laughs) but you know i learned about sports is basically on merit yeah sports you have to be able to play with a team. Sports, you got to be coachable. And you win or lose on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. You don't get a re-grand opening. You won or lost. So, but I taught my kids two things. One, be extra kind to everybody you meet. Yep. Because everybody's fighting some kind of battle. And you know my favorite movie is The King's Speech. King Stutter too. Yeah. Second, you can make a living and a life doing what you love to do. Two things. Be extra kind to everybody you meet. I've got kind kids, by the way. You do. And you can make a living and a life doing what you love to do. I didn't say get rich, but you can make a living and a life. So, uh, Courtney, I told her not to go into marketing, but she couldn't help it. And she, as you know, she, she's I think the Bible calls that the sins of the father. <laughs> exactly. But she started, she, we were walking, we were going to Duke University. She, you know, we, her, she, her finalists were Notre Dame, Duke, a couple other ones. She went to Duke because I like the gardens. But no, she, uh, we are walking. I took my kids, and it's, if you're listening out there, you need to do this if you think. Take your kids to the, um, to Washington and go see Lincoln and go see Jefferson and go see them a lot. Yeah. And I would take them there a lot, whether they wanted to go or not, and we'd walk the mall. Because it's the story of America when we're at our best. And uh, anyway, she, she was about to go into Duke, it, and she looked at them and said, Dad, I think the next leaders of the country, of our country, will be citizens of America but students of the world. And if she hadn't been my daughter, I would have stole that line because that's what I do. <laughs> and you still had to fight the impulse, fight, didn't you? <laughs> oh. Anyway, she started Students of the World when she was a junior at Duke. And for 14 years, she took kids in universities all over the world, filmmakers. They didn't even know they were filmmakers. And they went and shine a light on the people on the front line making a difference. And so she had this vision of Students of the World actually being the people who shine the light. So she started a marketing company. She's doing great. Ashley went to uh, ASU and then went to uh, um, Chapman University. And if you don't know about Chapman and Newport, it's awesome. And she comes home one day about six years ago, and she said, I just went to a thing called Wanderlust. It's a yoga festival in Lake Tahoe. 
it's yoga by day and rock and roll at night. And she said, I'd like to open up a yoga studio. So we went to C3, Charlie, because they're part of Wanderlust and doing the festivals. And we went downtown and got that old building uh, on 4th Street in Brazos. It was an old rat hole infested thing. My wife and a bunch of people, we built Brazos Hall, and then she built Wanderlust. And so she's making a living and a life doing what she loves to do. Shay comes home from Tulane, my son, doing great, and he cooks my wife and I a four-course Italian meal. And I said, Shay, what have you been doing in college? He said, <laughs> he said, watching the Food Network. In New Orleans. I said, awesome. So he went to culinary school in New York and now is associate editor for Food and Entertainment for People magazine. Don't think at all, people out there who are listening, that these kids are perfect or happy or all. All I'm trying to say is, Two good golden rules, be kind, and become great at what you're good at. Yeah. And don't t- let your parents tell you what you're good at. You know what you're good at. Become great at what you're good at. And find someone who's great at what you're bad at mm. and talk to par- and build a partnership. In marriage, too, by the way. I'm, I'm fascinated by that because I think it's, it's one thing to, to build a great business and a, and a company is one thing. To build great kids is an entirely different thing, and I think exponentially more difficult. By the mm-hmm. way, because <laughs> you take it so personally, you know you. Sure. And but it's exponentially more significant. It is. So here's my question yes, for you. Yes, sir. What are you and have you learned from your kids? One, there are two things. I've been thinking about that. I'm glad you asked that. One, they aren't me. Mm. They're not me. And. I'm so grateful that they're not me. They have me and Mary in them and sure. God in them, but they are not. I always tell people, and I didn't know it until I had kids, God made us every living thing different. There's not one thing that's the same. Well, think about how liberating that is as a parent. parent. They're not me. Got it. Awesome. They are me, but they're, they're, I never, they're, they are me, but they aren't me. Right. Write that down. Anyway, uh, <laughs> there are me, but they aren't me. And it's liberating I didn't, to know that in this, or looking at here, uh, it's words of wisdom from my dad. Mm-hmm. He and I wrote, we, didn't, uh, we wrote this article for Austin Man Magazine, and I wrote about him and he wrote about me, and we couldn't share it until it, pu- I didn't see it until it was published. And he's so different than me in the end, he said, maybe we're not. Yeah. But so I realized that they are me, but aren't me. And that was they taught me that secondly their pain is more profound to me than them Mm. sometimes I feel more badly you know when we grew up maybe not you I never told my parents anything was going wrong right no I didn't yeah I had to call collect (laughs) by the way young (laughs) people Sunday afternoon by the way young people collect is you don't know what that is but (laughs) but I think that at some you learn that you know at some point this is where spirituality has to come in that you feel their pain sure uh, and then they can let it go easier than you I can. I think they're more resilient with their pain they are, than we are because they also can just ah right, dad hey dad I just want to let you know I suck today and then <laughs> you go well what happened and they're all they're happy and I'm still yeah. worrying that there's uh, I think the final thing I learned from my kids is that there's good in everybody. Mm. There's good in everybody. God, you know, didn't make bad people. I mean, it's things happen in life, and you never know what goes on, but there's good 
and I love their friends. And I've learned, I think, from this generation, I like people who like me. They don't have to be like me. Yeah. That's the difference. Uh, I, people, I like to hang around people who aren't like me, and do, who, who don't like me. Really? What an idiot thing to think about. <laughs> like when people say, don't go into business with your friends. I got an idea. Why don't we pick enemies and by design go into business with them? Right. But I like their friends because they're different. Yeah. And God made us all different. And I think I'm it's fascinating to it. see who your kids gravitate toward outside of your home. Yep, it is fascinating. That's and I'm a, proud of it. And by the way, I'm I'm so admiring my kids' mm. friends. Yeah. Yeah. And I learn from them. We have chats and talk and I've learned I learned so much from their friends. And uh, you know, that's a big thing to do as a parent. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to ask you, I want to shift gears a little bit, yep. because you, over the years, not only have you been involved in advertising, but you've been involved in messaging politically. Yes. And whatever your personal beliefs may be, those listening and anyone else, it, it's been a fascinating couple of years here in America. Yeah. And one of the things, Roy, that it I've always been. loved, but you have always, even in 08 and 09, when right. the economy was in the tank, yeah. you said it's winter, but spring's coming. Coming, Yep. And so I'm curious, right. what's your take on kind of where we are as a nation coming out of what we've just come out of? God, it's a great question, and I've really not just thought about it, but lived through it. And um, here's a couple of lessons learned that I, and this is the reason I wrote Higher Ground. I don't think America, and I think it's partly because of the instant messaging and social media, I don't think America can move forward on common ground anymore. I think it has to be higher ground. Mm. And I mean that because I believe in the power of purpose. Um, and I think we have to have a robust discussion about what is the purpose of America mm. and really talk about that. Because if you, we all agree that the purpose is this, then we can fight like cats and dogs on how we accomplish that. Right. But we are debating the very fundamentals of the purpose of America. So I think higher ground, I go around the country and people don't know who I am or whatever, but I always try to, I always remember going, making a speech right before an election and a young woman came up and says, I'm so glad you're supporting blah, blah, blah. I never said I did. And then an old guy came up on the other side of the Tea Party and said, will you come speak to my group because we believe everything you're talking about. Yeah. You do it on Sunday. Roy, I get the same thing. You, I get emails from people going, God, you'll, you'll love this. this. And you'll and and support one candidate. Right. And, and you'll the same love, time I get one right. from another, somebody else going, you're, you're going to hate this. And your, and job, your job is to take people to higher ground. That's right. your job. Absolutely. By design, that's your job. Take them to, And higher ground isn't just spiritual. It's sort of that ideal. Right. And I believe when America is at her best, no one's too good and everybody's good enough. I think that's one of the things we have to go back to. Yeah, yeah. I think we've, I think this country and our people are happier than our politicians. And I think you, when you have pe people leading us who want to, on both sides, take us down and fight with one another on both sides. Again, I went home to my hometown in Brownwood and sitting there with all my football players. 
and most of them were Trump supporters. And we sat down and talked, and uh, and my old buddy, whose wife just God rest his soul, passed away after 42 years, mm. two weeks before our reunion. Looks at me and he said, "If you ran for governor, I would vote for you." Yeah. And I don't agree with hardly anything you believe in. But you know what? You never forgot where he came from. We have to, on both sides, realize if you don't go where they live, yeah. first of all, if you're running for the United States of America on either side, if you don't go where your people who don't like you live, you won't know what, how they're living. And, and if you go where they live, they might not like you, but they can't hate you. Right. Because you walked in their shoes. Someone else said that, God, Jesus. He walked in their shoes yep. on both sides. There's a book that was written not too long ago five, called The Big Sort, and it was by Bill Bishop. And it basically said the danger of the Internet and the danger of what we're doing as Americans we're only hanging out with the people whom think like us. Right, right. That's not good for America. No. It, by the way, the great, you know, when Al Gore and I invented the Internet, but no, <laughs> it was a big liberator, sure. but it's also become the big isolator. Yes. Isn't that and a fascinating, fascinating dynamic? Steve Colbert, did you see his, his special, The Night of the Election? No, I didn't. He had what I thought was a very astute point. He put it very funny, but it was astute. He said... When we were kids, we didn't worry about politics 24-7. No. I knew that there were – I thought there was an election almost as often as there were the Olympics. Right. <laughs> but we didn't talk about it every day. God, that's, but it's true. And so – but now that you – now that it is 24-7 news channels, Twitter, yada, 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 Facebook and everything else, it's front and center. And if you – unless you're careful, you're almost forced – to pick a that, side? That's right. Early, by the way. And yeah. then once you pick it early, you hard to change. I think that's part of what the millennials at some point, uh, it's going to be their turn. And mm -hmm. uh, John Kennedy was elected at 41, Bill Clinton at 42. Young Pete, at some point, uh, I wrote a little email to a friend the other night and said, Willie Nelson had it right. Willie Nelson had it right. Turn out the light. The party's over. <laughs> yeah. The old parties are over. Yeah. And by the way, uh, CNN and News, Fox, and all of those things, they are drama queens. They're not news outlets. Walter, it's a business before it's a news And it's drama. Yeah. And it's literally... Well, because drama drives business. Exactly. Drama drives exactly. dollars. They're drama kings and queens, and so if there's not any drama, they'll create it. Having said that, I think that part of what you do and what we all do... I. I, I told somebody the other day, the epiphany I've had after 60-some-odd years, there were really moments in time where I was thinking I was controlling at some point or improving the world, and I now know all I can do is improve my world. Mm. But if everyone improves my world, <laughs> the world gets improved. Yeah. What you do, I mean, literally... What we do, and I've told my kids this, regardless of what side you're on, let's go improve. Quit worrying about that world. That means go vote and all that. Why don't you just get focused and say, I'm going to work today. I'm going to hug somebody today. I'm going to help somebody today. 
I'm going to make a little money for my family today. I'm going to, this is not isolation I'm talking about, preacher. I'm talking no. about the ideal that everyone thinks now they can control the world. I'm in charge of the world. No, you know who is? God. And he doesn't care about Fox or CNN. <laughs> he really doesn't. He's sitting there going, whatever. It's like I wrote this great spot about climate change about eight years ago. It's, it's from Mother Nature. She comes on and says, hi, I'm Mother Nature. I've been around for four billion years. And it goes on and says, I like those dinosaurs. They were awesome. And then, you know, glaciers just took them out, and I'm just fine. <laughs> My point is, God's just fine. Yeah. If we want to change the world, it's for, because we should want to for us and our kids instead of trying to think oh my god so i'm just in this and you know this is where i think our focus is let's do what we do where we can do it and not worry about the things we can't do let's just hyper focus on the people and the communities and the families and the businesses and let's work on that and then if we all do that the world gets better